0: couple years ago i was preaching at a day camp in virginia i was doing a series of sermons on jonah with the end trying to be the salvation message and right before i went up to preach the director told me that the children didn't really have any concept of salvation they didn't know who christ was they didn't know what the bible was they didn't know what sin was they had no idea who israel was They had no idea really of any of the context of the bible they were all unchurched they were all inner city kids and he said so you got to do the best you can go and then he kind of rushed me on stage and i said okay and as i kind of gauged the crowd and i asked questions i realized that this was going to be a lot harder than i thought it was going to be usually when you preach to people they know what the bible is they know why you're speaking to them but these kids had no idea And so, that week, I really had to work to build the foundation for what they needed, the knowledge they needed, in order to come to a saving knowledge of Christ. Sometimes we, as Christians, sometimes I as a pastor, can take for granted what people know. You see, I think in older times, that we grew up with a knowledge of the Bible— that we grew up with the knowledge of what God's Word actually said, what it actually meant. And then as time has gone on, as the Bible has gone out of school, as we don't pray, as families anymore, as people stop going to church, there's less and less of a biblical knowledge and really biblical literacy among children. As I tell people, I used to sub in the public school system, And as I'd tell people, yeah, I work as a pastor, they'd wonder what that is. As I'd tell them about Jesus, they wouldn't know who that person actually is. In Acts chapter 2, we see Peter's sermon at Pentecost. We see him start to explain the gospel, explain the good news of salvation to this crowd What I think Peter's doing here is he's explaining really from the whole Bible, from the whole plan of God, the whole story of salvation, what the gospel message actually is. I titled my sermon, Preaching That Cuts to the Heart. In the selection that I had Keith read for us in verse 37, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart this preaching this sharing of the gospel really changed lives it really changed hearts it really worked in the hearts of these people now we know obviously god is the one who works right he is the author of salvation everything every person who comes to saving knowledge of christ only does th- so through god's word But yet we can learn from Peter's example how to share the gospel with people. How to share the gospel in such a way that we can explain it to them accurately and explain to them the message that they need to hear. Now you might say, Pastor, I'm not going to preach to people, you know. Well, maybe you won't, but all of us should be sharing the gospel with people. All of us should be witnessing to people, man, woman, child, older, distinguished person. All of us should have people in our lives to whom we share the gospel with. And so how can we share the gospel? What should we present when we share the gospel? That's the question, the focus that I want us to think of this morning. And first, I want us to see that we should share the gospel within the plan of God. Look with me at verse 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Now, what's been going on in Acts? Well, last week we saw that people are speaking in tongues. People are being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it caused quite a commotion. It caused quite a scene in the town, didn't it? And people came and some said, what are these wonders? What are these signs? And others said, these people are drunk. These people are filled with new wine. So Peter realizes he needs to give an explanation. He needs to explain what is going on here and why it's significant. Let me just point this out now. I love how Peter uses his context, his situation, and turns it into a gospel opportunity. Do you see how he's doing that? Something that's going on, something significant, and he's going to tie it in to the gospel. So he stands up, he lifts up his voice, and he says this. He says, men of Judah, all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. Now, I want to point out something. Peter's just talking to Jewish people, okay? He's just talking to the Jews. The gospel eventually will go to the Gentiles. But this is Peter giving the gospel to Jewish people. Now, they have different ethnicities, yes. They have different backgrounds. That's why they needed to speak in tongues. But Peter is giving the gospel to primarily Jewish people here. He asks them to pay attention. And the first thing he says is in verse 15. He says, for these people are not drunk. Well, that's a relief. These people aren't drunk. They're not filled with new wine like you thought they were. And what's the reason he gives for this? Well, the first is just a practical, it's a logical reason. He says, since it's only the third hour of the day, it was really only 9 a.m. by their standards. So he's like, they couldn't have been drunk. Even drunk, drunkard people, even people who had been drinking and had an addiction to drinking, even they wouldn't be drunk by 9 a.m., His second explanation is actually a quotation from the prophet Joel, and he's explaining what is going on here. Now, Joel's a prophet that we don't really focus a lot on, but he was writing to a people who saw a locust plague, and they were wondering what it meant, and Joel's actually going to explain the judgment and the day of the Lord from that locust plague. He's actually going to predict some of what's going to happen in the future in Joel chapter 2. And in Joel 2, 28 through 32, we see that text quoted here by Peter. Notice what he says in verse 17. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. What Peter is saying is that this event, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit coming is actually starting the last days. Now, this isn't starting the tribulation, the millennial kingdom, the rapture, but it is starting this last age, the church age, what we are actually in now. This was the beginning of it, this was the start of it. We see the apostles as they write different letters, they would refer to these times as the last times. In the, in days, He's saying we're living in the last days. He says in verse 17, In the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. The Holy Spirit would come, and he would fill people. Now, not necessarily would all people speak in tongues, heal people, things like that. But this is a sign of the end times, the last days days. Keep reading. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy, as could mean foretelling the future. I think it probably means speaking the gospel, sharing the good news with people. And then he says, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. These are all things that would happen at the beginning During this time, and I think this sets off this church age, these last days that Peter and Joel are referring to. Look at verse 18. Peter's going to show, by quoting Joel, that there's not going to be any distinctions here. There's not going to be any ethnic diversity here. He says, Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out, my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Men, women, rich, poor, all people who are believers in Jesus Christ would receive the filling of the Holy Spirit, or would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We talked about the distinctions last week. And they would have different spiritual gifts. Now, notice he shows the beginning of this age, he's also going to show the end of this time. And verse 19, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor and smoke. So there would be signs in the end times. I think these are the actual end times that he's referring to here that are being referenced blood, vapor, smoke. Look at verse 20. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord. Comes the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So these are the last days. This is the last thing that's going to happen during these times. So Peter is showing really how this event, how Pentecost, fits into the plan of God for salvation. We see that it's a plan foretold, talked about from the time of Joel. And it continues even past our days through the end times and through the rapture. Peter's really showing them a map, a roadmap, for the whole plan of God throughout history and why these events are significant. And I think it's important for us to remember, as we share the gospel with people, we have to show people where you're going. I think of it like driving with a GPS. Sometimes you need to know what's right in front of you, right? And you need those turn-by-turn directions, Other times you need to see the whole picture of where you are actually going. As we're sharing the gospel with people, we want to show people from the beginning of the world, from creation, through the life of Christ, even beyond our time now, what the plan of God actually is. Like I mentioned earlier, when I was preaching to those kids... I took for granted that they believed that God created the world. I took for granted that they knew who Israel was. And what I needed to do was center the gospel, focus the gospel to um, not only the four gospels in the New Testament, but also within the entire framework of the plan of God. Notice with me, secondly, share the gospel with others by remembering the life and death of Christ. Share the gospel by remembering the life and death of Christ. Look at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. He calls them again. He's really starting a new section of his message here. And he's saying, Jesus, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders, And signs. Jesus did miracles, right? He did miracles, mighty acts in front of people. Notice what he says. He says, He did mighty works attested by God, which you yourselves know. What is he talking about here? They had seen the miracles of Jesus, they had seen these signs, they saw Jesus doing these powerful acts, these mighty works. They were Jewish people. They had heard about Christ. They'd heard about his life, all the different things that Christ had done. He attracted very big crowds. They knew who Jesus was. They had a familiarity with him, but they didn't recognize him as Savior. Notice verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He reminds them of the life of Christ, his miracles, the things he did. He also reminds them of the death of Christ. I love what he does here. He shows how the death of Christ was part of the plan of God. But then he also puts some of the responsibility on them as well. And he says, you know, you were the ones who killed him. Now imagine being a Jewish person and hearing that and feeling a little bit guilty for being part of killing Christ, of crucifying him. Peter is focusing them on the death, the life and death of Christ. It's part of the plan of God. It was also something that was enacted by cruel men. He says it was enacted by they was killed by lawless men, people who love to break the rules, people who live according to their own desires. It's important for us as we share the gospel with others to remember the death of Christ. We want to focus on the resurrection, yes, the hope that we have in Christ, but we also want to remember his death, his suffering, the work that Christ did on the cross. We don't need to glory in how gruesome it was and how ugly it was necessarily, but we do need to remember the price that he paid. We must be faithful in explaining the life of Christ as well, Jesus lived a real human life. He walked among us like us. I had one professor say he had pimples. He went through puberty. He lived a real life. He suffered. He had heartache. Jesus wept. Jesus felt suffering. Jesus was a real human person he was god yes but he was also man as well as we share the gospel with others we must remember the life of christ and the death of christ as well thirdly share the gospel by celebrating the resurrection of christ share the gospel by celebrating the resurrection of christ This is really what Peter does. He explains the plan of God. He talks about the life and death of Christ. And then he explains the resurrection. Verse 24. God raised him. Loosing up the pangs of death. And I love this next phrase. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Why did Christ rise from the dead? Because death. Could not hold him. Amen. Christ was a man. He suffered, he died, but he also rose again. Then he quotes David and he connects this to Scripture. In verse 25, Schaefer preached this text for us several weeks ago. In Psalm 16, which we read at the beginning of the service, Peter uses this quotation from the Old Testament, and he applies it to Christ here. Notice what he says. He says, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. This meant something to David when he wrote it, yes. It also means something to Christ that God was with him, that God did not let him be shaken. He continues to explain this in verse 26. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue also rejoiced. David found his hope in God. David found gladness, joy in God, and Christ did as well. And why is that? Look at the next phrase. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or to Sheol. This is the separation of life from God. People who are separated from God forever. The Jewish people believed after three days that the soul, after three days of death, the soul went on to Sheol. But notice what the text says. He says, you will not Let my soul be abandoned to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Was Christ abandoned by God? No, but Christ was raised again. Christ did not see corruption in his body. Rather, he was raised by God in the resurrection. So this journey from death To life, we see transfer, transition in verse 28. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Notice how they go from Hades, from separation, from Sheol and death to life. And it's in the resurrection of Christ. Peter's using the Old Testament to say, That Christ was not abandoned by God, but that God saved him, that God delivered him, that God supports him. And Peter explains this for us in verse 29. He says, brothers, may I say to you with what? With confidence, not just a wishy-washy, man, I hope this works out, but with a confident expectation, with hope. About the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. What's he saying? He's saying, David's dead. David's flesh is corrupted. He was not raised from the dead. And so, while this psalm meant something to David, notice what Peter says David's expectation was. He said, Therefore, being a prophet, David. Peter's referring to David now. He says, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. He's saying David knew that there would be a king who would reign on his throne. And it is through that promise David wrote this psalm, speaking of Christ, knowing that God would raise him from the dead. Look at verse 32. This Jesus God raised up. He speaks of the resurrection of Christ and the victory that we have and the confidence and the hope that we can have in the resurrection of Christ. And as you share the gospel with others, You must remind them, you must maybe inform them if they don't have any other context of this, that the gospel message is a message of hope. It is a message of hope that Christ didn't stay dead, but that he was raised from the dead. That he offers new life. That this life is not just about death and decay. All of us die, but through Christ... We can have hope that we will be raised again. Maybe not like him, but in our glorified bodies when we see him one day. Our family members, our friends, those who have passed on beyond the grave, we will see them again. And how can we have that confidence? How can we have that hope? It is through the resurrection of Christ. The resurrection of Christ gives us hope. It gives us confidence. It gives us an expectation that we will be with our loved ones again. This is what it meant for Peter. This is what it means for us. As you share the gospel with others, share the resurrection of Christ—that Christ rose from the dead—and that the pe- and the people you're witnessing to—they need to know that they're broken and worn down life that they see no escape from that they see no help from that through Christ they can have a new and risen life turn to Colossians chapter 3 this is a direct application of the resurrection in verse 1 If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And why is this? For you have died, and your life is hidden with God, and when Christ who is your life appears, Then you will also appear with him in glory. The resurrection of Christ tells us that we have a new life. That sin that you don't have victory over, that fear, the circumstances of your life, the only hope that you have is that Christ rose from the dead and gives you victory over that. You'll meet people, you see people probably in your own life, Who have a pretty negative view towards God, right? A pretty negative view towards the world. They felt life's hardships. They have been tested by time. I've met people who have not been as fortunate as me and they're growing up. They have a sour view towards the world. They've had some really serious stuff go on. What gives us hope? What's different for us? How can people that we know who have had such horrible sufferings and hardships in their life, how can they have hope? It's through the resurrection of Christ. Share the gospel celebrating the resurrection of Christ. Fourthly, share the gospel emphasizing the glory of Christ. Look with me at verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So Christ was not only raised, but he's also exalted. He's raised up. He's at the right hand of God. He can be in the presence of God. He sits at the right hand of the Father. What a glorious place for Christ. It's through Christ that we have the Holy Spirit. We talked about this last week. The promise of the Holy Spirit that we have is through the glory of Christ. It's through Christ pouring him out on us. But notice what it says. And this was somewhat confusing for me. It says, he received the promise of the Holy Spirit. How did Christ receive that? Well, I believe it's because the Holy Spirit was active in the resurrection of Christ. Look at Romans 8 with me for just a moment. It's right after the book of Acts. Look at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. This spirit, the Holy Spirit, the promise given to Christ was that the spirit took part in raising Christ from the dead now Christ is God yes we know he rose from the dead but we also see the work of the Spirit here as well then da- then Peter continues to emphasize the glory of Christ in verse 34. for David did not ascend to the heavens again we see the difference between Jesus and David here but notice what he says but he himself says the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. The glory of Christ, he's elevated to the heavens. Peter then quotes Psalm 110, verse 1, showing that Christ is above all, and he reigns over all gloriously. Then Peter applies it in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain That God has made him both Lord and Christ. He's our King and he's our Messiah. He's our Lord and he's our Savior. This is the glory of Christ. And what I fear too often is that sometimes we emphasize the gospel as a get out of jail free card. As a get into heaven without doing anything. And we forget the glory of Christ. We forget to explain who Christ is. Friends, the people that need to hear the gospel from us need to hear it because Christ is better than what they are living for, because Christ is a better Savior. Share the gospel with people, emphasizing the glory of Christ Lastly, share the gospel with people calling sinners to repentance. Look at verse 37. The application or the emphasis of Peter's sermon. Now, when they heard this, they were what? Cut to the heart. They were impacted. And they said to the apostles, brothers, what shall we do what can we do how can we know this christ they've been impacted by the gospel and notice what he says he says repent and be baptized not that baptism ever saves you but he says to repent and be baptized turn from your sin turn from your sin believe in the gospel believing in the gospel accepting the gospel is more than just getting out of hell, but it is a new and transformed life. It is repentance. It is turning from your sin. It's turning to God the Father. He says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children who are not far off. They could receive this gift. Their children through faith could receive this gift. And notice, for those who are not far off, the Gentiles could receive salvation as well. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, he shows the gospel is available. It's sufficient for everyone. Notice what else happened in verse 40. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. He continues to preach the gospel to them, urging them to repent. And notice the result. So those who received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. What a remarkable transformation. What a remarkable response to this message from Peter that over 3,000 people were saved, heard the gospel, accepted Christ. They repented of their sins and they believed the gospel. As we close our sermon this morning, I want us to consider three encouragements for us as we share the gospel with others. First of all, remember that God's word does the work. God's word does the work. It's his word that works in the hearts and lives of others. Remember, secondly, that God's Spirit is with you. God's Spirit is with you. God's Spirit is the one that is working to encourage you, to help you, to give you confidence. Remember, lastly, that Christ builds His church. Christ builds His church. It's not about you. It's not about your message. It is about Christ. Christ builds his church. We have the opportunity to share the gospel with others, to make disciples, to see real lasting change and impact in the lives of those to whom we see our family members, our friends, those within this community. We must be faithful to Christ to his word, and to share in the gospel with others, knowing that Christ is the one who will work to build his church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it speaks to each and every one of us. We thank you for how it changes our lives. God, help us to be faithful to the gospel message Help us to be faithful to your word, Lord, not make sharing the gospel about us. God, help us to emphasize the right things as we share the gospel with others. Help us to emphasize the Bible, the plan of God. Help us to emphasize the death of Christ and what he's done for us. Help us to celebrate the resurrection. Help us to glorify your son, as we do it. And God, help us to to help to call others to repentance. We need your help. We need your guidance. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.